We're in a series, uh, Sermon on the Mount, a collection of Jesus' teaching, maybe some of the most significant, memorable, well-known, well-understood thoughts given by the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this is week two. Uh, in a few weeks' time, we'll be looking at some uh, more christmas oriented things, but I think this will carry through into the new year without a doubt. Um, and so we're just going to dive straight in. Okay, I had some other things to do, but we've just got to dive straight in. Uh, when you think of get to safety, if someone right now screamed, get to safety, what do you think your reaction would be? If you're walking down the street and someone just yelled, get to safety, which way would you run? Would you run back towards your house or would you run further into the city? Just think about it. Our natural reaction, I think, when we're under threat is to shrink back. Our natural reaction is to duck, go for cover, run back the way we came. Would you, would you say that's a reasonable assumption? In most circumstances, get to safety means hide. We even sang it in one of those songs. It was like, you're my refuge and I run to you and hide in you. The words of the song actually really betray our, our human emotion and there's nothing inappropriate about that. That's absolutely fine. But have you ever, have you worked out yet, if you've been following Jesus for even a little while, that, that often Jesus is very counterintuitive you know, everything within you is screaming, do one thing, and Jesus says, go the other way. Yeah. Go the opposite way. In one sense, run toward danger. Could be part of the thing. And we see great analogies in Scripture like David and Goliath. Uh, one of the things I love about David and Goliath, the whole story, if you actually read it, is that David continuously ran forward. When you read the story, you just see then he ran and he got the brooks. You know, he ran to the creek between the two of them. So he ran forward, he ran forward, he ran forward, he ran straight at danger. It's so counterintuitive. And so much of what Jesus teaches is counterintuitive. Uh, one of his favourite phrases, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. In other words, you, you, you have a natural assumption about things or you've been taught a particular way. Often when he said that, you've heard it said, he was actually bringing correction to their understanding of what the Bible was saying. He wasn't correcting Moses. He was correcting their interpretation of what Moses was saying. So Jesus can be so counterintuitive and I find him very much that way in this passage of Scripture. Um, I'm hoping to get through this uh, I've got a, quite a, a tender voice. I've had some sickness over the last couple of weeks. That sort of caught up with me this week. But I'm coming good. But Pastor Sue's not here because I loved her so much. I wanted to freely give what I'd freely received. I believe from her anyway two weeks previous. But that's an argument in our house. Um, so I've got to watch my voice. But I want to get through this. And I, hope, I just hope to land this so that we could take just one thing away. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law 
till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That last phrase particularly, I, I think, would have, been, would have seemed like a big ask for Jesus' original audience. Jesus' original audience primarily being the average guy in the street who looked up to their religious leaders in some sense, they felt that they had a bit of a corner on God. And Jesus says, unless you do better than your religious leaders, then you're going to miss the kingdom. So Jesus is saying to this, you know, most of the people who didn't have access really to any sort of formal education, really didn't have access to scripture to study it themselves. They had to rely on these religious leaders, had no resources. And Jesus says, you need to do better than them. But you know, I think although the people were probably intimidated by the knowledge and the position that the Pharisees had, these teachers of the religious law, guardians of the faith, it's unlikely that they couldn't see the shallow lip service and the hypocrisy that these people often paid to it. So they might not have had access to it and then they might have been a bit intimidated by the religious system of the day, but it's, it's, you could be pretty sure they could see through it. Like the average Joe in the street, he's not dumb. We, we get treated dumb all the time, don't we? But we're not that dumb. To exceed their righteousness really could have been daunting. Or it actually could have been a relief that God was looking for something different. <laughs> it could have been, oh man, they're the people I've looked up to who I've been told have got it all together. And Jesus, you say, I've got to do better than that. Or it could have been, you know what? I've thought this was smelly for a while. I've thought this didn't didn't pass the whiff test, but I was never going to say it. So if you're saying God's looking for something different to what's been lifted up to us, then actually that could have been a relief for people who are listening to Jesus. It could be why crowds flocked to him. That he was saying something different that made sense to the people. And it wasn't an unreasonable bar. We've got to understand Jesus is actually using a Jewish idiom of the day, this figure of speech. When he says, I haven't come to, uh, I've come to fulfill the law, I haven't come to destroy the law. What he's actually talking about there, to, to fulfill the law literally meant to judge, apply or live in a way that reflected its truth. See, when Jesus said, don't think I've come to pull it apart, he was wanting to contrast really the Pharisees with what the Bible was teaching. He was saying, because I keep challenging these guys and they've claimed to have a corner on truth, you could make the mistake of thinking that I was against what they're teaching. 
But that's not what I'm aiming at. I've come to fulfill. I've come to judge and I've come to act out the law to fulfill it, the truth that's contained in it. To destroy the law was to judge, apply or live in a way that cancelled its meaning. In other words, to, to minimise the teaching is how you destroyed the law. It, it's very much, it goes right back to, to Hebrew roots of hero Israel and to hear in Hebrew parlance did not mean to just get audible, audible signals. To hear was to do. I'll know that you've heard when you do what you heard. And this is basically what Jesus is playing on with fulfilling the law. Don't minimise the law. This is why, you know, you get some people that, are, if you've ever heard someone like this, I'm not under law, I'm under grace, so I can behave pretty badly. I don't tithe, that's under the law. Actually, that's what makes that ridiculous. Jesus came to fulfil it. He didn't pull it down, he didn't pull it apart. He lived it. And to the point, if you want to talk about giving and generosity, to the point where he gave his whole life away, not just 10% of it. <laughs> and Jesus goes after these guys again and again. He gives examples in this very chapter of minimising the law. When he, when he actually used, uses hyperbole and he ramps right up and he says, you've heard that you, you shouldn't murder? Well, I'm saying if you hate your brother, you've already murdered him in your heart. <laughs> this is grace. <laughs> You're saying, you, you, you've heard it said you shouldn't commit adultery? Well, I'm saying that if you've looked at someone lustfully, well, you've already done it in your heart. So don't minimise don't minimize this stuff. Don't fade back from it in a society that is urging us to water it down. Living to minimums was what Jesus was always hitting with these guys, this religious sort of framework. Ironically, they'd gotten to the point where they could use the Bible to justify not living it. <laughs> so there's nothing new under the sun, is there, if you read anything on the internet? And this wasn't about heaven. When Jesus said, you, you, unless your righteousness exceeds, then you won't, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about heaven somewhere else. He's actually using the Jewish concept of Alam Habar, the age to come, when God rules on earth. When his ways are our ways. And that's why Jesus said, the kingdom is coming near you. He wasn't talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven was like a comet passing the earth's atmosphere. Oh, it's coming near. There she goes again. Jesus said, oh no, it's come, it's come very near you now. And it was about belief and change in people's hearts. People who actually came alive again to God and lived differently and lived fully human to reflect his image to all of creation. That's the kingdom he's proclaiming. Not a ticket out of pain. So what he's saying here in essence is if your righteousness is at the level you see in the religious leaders of your day, you'll miss it. You'll miss this thing that God's doing that's very, very close right now. 
So I want to speak to you really quickly now, the last few minutes. The safety of living big. The safety of living big. Of living a big life. And and the reason I think it's so pertinent is because I think over the last couple of years, all we've had is to be browbeaten back into a tiny little box and live small. And we might have had to be cautious with safety and different things like that, but I tell you what, it's gone past being a physical thing to being a mental challenge that I think we recognise. And I think Jesus can speak straight to it. There's a few concepts going on here, a few things we could understand, again, about Jewish idiom of the day and Hebrew understanding, and that is righteousness right here. Righteousness and generosity are linked in Hebrew thought. And uh, our good friend Shane Willard has taught on this sort of extensively. I don't pretend to be anywhere near be able to touch how he touches it. But really, really simply, generosity is the word sadak in Hebrew. Righteousness is the word sadakah. Righteousness is an outworking of generosity, of living big, of being big-hearted, of being big-spirited, of embracing a big world, of believing big things. That's what righteousness is. So when Jesus says you're righteous, don't think moral lists of do's and don'ts. Jesus wasn't thinking that. He was thinking about the way we live and move and have our being in this world. That's why he said, I've come to fulfil it. I have come to live what Scripture says in such a way that you see it visibly. And that is now what he calls his people to do. Think about the Pharisees. Jesus was always dealing with a tight spirit with Pharisees, wasn't it? Here's Jesus, I'm proclaiming the kingdom has come near. Your disciples don't wash their hands. Rome's down the road. Our land has been invaded and inhabited. We haven't been free for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And you are picking on my disciples when they're hungry, not washing their hands. Well, should we pay taxes to Rome? The whole world is burning. And they're asking the most small-minded questions. You can imagine Jesus continuously hit against what they proclaimed as their righteousness because their righteousness reflected nothing of generosity. Jesus, again, he, he went after him on this. You bind heavy burdens and put them on men's backs and won't lift one finger to help them. This stingy, tight, small-minded spirit of control. So righteous and generosity, that's the kind of righteousness we're talking about. We're talking about being big-spirited, compassionate and generous. And you know, increase is a good thing. Can we believe that together? Increase is a good thing. I mean, I've lived with increase, I've lived with lack. I know which way I'd rather live. Pretty sure you'd all agree. And the fact is, it's the first mandate in Genesis. The first thing God says to man, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, flourish. Flourish. That's what I want you to do. What's the will of God? That you flourish. The Apostle John picks it up in the New Testament, very similar. 3 John 2. Beloved, I pray that you might be in health and prosper, even as your soul 
prosperous, <laughs> flourish. That's honestly what God's got for us. The dangerous thing is not people becoming bigger. The dangerous thing is not, oh, they're just going to become big and big-headed. Well, some, some people do, but if you've got the Spirit of God in you, you should be able to turn the tap on and not be worried about not knowing when to turn it off. The problem is not with people, and I talk now right about our society. It's not about people feeling bigger or getting bigger or determining to grow bigger. The danger is in the smallness. This is what Jesus is zeroing in on. The danger is not in becoming more fully human, expressing the gifts, expressing the talents, reflecting God's glory. That's not the danger. The danger is the opposite of that. It's in us becoming smaller. So I want to encourage us to pursue growth. I know we're heading to Christmas and it could be time to feel like we feel like we're just going to take the pedal off the metal or what. And hey, work-wise, if you, if you get the chance to do that, do it. I haven't got any problem with that. Just don't take the pedal off the metal with God. There's a, a passage of scripture that's become very, very famous. Books have been written about it, etc., and all kinds of things said about it. I just want to pull one principle out of it. It's been called the prayer of Jabez because it's a guy called Jabez who prays. Uh, it's in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. Now, Jabez was more honourable than his brothers and his mother called his name Jabez saying, because I bore him in pain. His, his name literally means to grieve. And Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that I might not cause pain. And look at this. So God granted him what he requested. I bet you wish you prayed that prayer this morning. But here's the whole concept. Jabez knew pain. For, we don't know what that was. We don't know whether his mum passed after giving birth. We, we don't know what that pain was, but he understood what pain was. The, the incredible thing is he understood staying small and in the shadow of the grief was only going to damage people around him. That's what he's saying. My prayer, his prayer is not even for him. His prayer is, God, that you would bless me, that you would increase me. Keep me from evil so that I might not do harm. And it was this sense where he almost knew that if I stay locked into grief, if I stay small, it's only ever going to bring more pain. The only way I can move away from the centre of pain is to grow and expand and get bigger and be blessed by God. I don't know what grief you've felt in these last couple of years, but I reckon some of us are grieving things. Some We don't even know what we're grieving, some of it. Things that have been lost, lost opportunities, lost moments, lost relationships, whatever it might be. The answer is not to stay there. The answer is not to stay small. It's to actually begin crying out, God, that you would bless me, that you would increase me, that I would grow beyond this and that you would keep me flying straight. So I know if that happens, 
then I'm not going to hurt anyone. Jesus taught his disciples how to increase, and I'm not going to read this passage, it'll come up, but in Matthew 20, where Jesus says, whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And you've heard me say this so many times. Jesus didn't stifle their aspirations. He just redirected them onto the right pathway to achieve those aspirations. He didn't say, how dare you want to be great? He said, if you want to be great, I'll tell you how to do it. Do it the way I did it. Learn to serve and give and die to yourself and serve others and you will be great. So greatness isn't the issue. Jesus literally teaches the disciples how to get there. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Another one of my favourite passages I drag out a bit in the message paraphrase. He's talking to the Corinthian church. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life. Paul's talking to people living in first century Roman conditions. And some of them are okay because they're Roman citizens and some of them are on the wrong side of the stick. And Paul's saying, there is a wide, open, spacious life that I want you to enter into. The kingdom is near. We didn't fence you in. Listen to this. The smallness you feel comes from within you. You know, I've, I've learned this. This passage has become transformational to me. Whenever I'm feeling sorry for myself, whenever I feel like someone's done something else to me, I ask myself the question, I wonder if that smallness I feel. I mean, honestly, can anyone else actually make you feel small? Probably not. You let them. You accept what they say, you let it get under your skin. Outside of actual literal abuse, outside of that, the only person who can make you small is you. By believing the wrong narrative, by accepting false criticism, you're the only one who can, who can make yourself small and Paul is he's calling them out on it. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. I hope that's coming across. I'm not angry this morning, okay? I'm really not angry. I was going to be a lot more vibrant than this. I'm trying to hold my voice in check. Um, but I'm not angry. I'm, if I'm angry at anything, I'm angry at containment. I'm angry at a mentality that threatens to sort of just tell us to just settle down. Don't, don't get too excited. We've had so much of that in the last couple of years and even right now to this point. You hear whiff of another wave, what does your heart do? <gasps> Did anyone else do that? <gasps> Here we go again. Talk masks again or whatever. <gasps> I'm not saying I'm against medic. I'm not, I'm not conspiracy here. I'm just saying we're groaning under being expected to live small. And I just think that we can somehow, if, if, if first century Christians can live under Roman occupation and live big, then whatever mandates come down the track or whatever, there is no excuse for us not to live big on the inside and to enter into what God's got for us. And not just to go down the, oh, I think I'll do, I'm just so sad, I'll just watch Netflix. 
that God's purposes don't change. God's callings don't change. The gifts of God are without repentance. In other words, God's not sorry he gave them and he doesn't take them back. Paul says, open up your eyes, live openly and expansively. At the end of the day, small people do little to change their world, but they let self-interest and self-consciousness white-ant their potential contribution. And we've just been through this whole season of fear and intimidating circumstances and it's bred, I think, a live-in-a-box mentality, live small. It's like being the invasion of the head shrinkers. When I was writing this message, I actually did some research on head shrinking. I'm not talking psychologists. But I mean literal, you know, like literal. Off with his head and they get a ball. They don't shrink it, you know. You know what they do? This is gross. Do you want to know or not? Like, this will make the end of the sermon interesting, that's for sure. They like peel your face off. And they get like a ball or a coconut or whatever and stitch it back on there, making alterations to make it smaller as they go. And some of these are still in museums in the world, can you believe that? It actually become a big trade at the turn of the century. Guatemalan government and a few other South American governments had to actually ban it and go after it because people were being kidnapped for their heads. Only 120 years ago. And anyone who says mankind doesn't need a saviour today because we're clever is a total idiot. You do realise that, don't you? Because that's what mankind reverts to the moment he's allowed to. And we've even just seen it in a mental sense. Some sort of a sense where it's like, did anyone else feel like their head might have got stolen? <laughs> you do know what I'm saying, don't you? Some of you are looking at me really confused now. It's because it was because you were sleeping before I mentioned head shrinkers and you haven't been on the journey. So it's your own fault if you don't understand me. That's terrible. That's really terrible. I'm sorry. It's not your fault at all. But we have been through this season. And there's evidence of recession in the church. I'm, I thank God we're bouncing back, but attendance volunteerism, giving, all of that has all receded. And my fear is we've begun to think and live small. I just said to Sue yesterday, I said, that couple, I don't think we've seen them back since COVID, no. They haven't moved away. You know, COVID was a great circuit breaker to help us reassess our lives in one sense. If you used it for that, you did well. But if it translates to I'm putting me number one now, that's a real problem for the Christian. That's living in a very small world. Billy Graham said it best when he said, a man all wrapped up up in himself is a very small package indeed. If it hinders... I want to be a disciple, I want to make disciples, then we're forgetting that just how much Jesus gave to win our affections. That the kingdom's actually built on sacrifice and dedication and courage, words that scare us now. 
But this is faith in action. Faith moves you to do. It moves you to give. It moves you to commit. It moves you to step up and do something you've never done before. That's faith. But it's so easy to allow our worlds to stay shrunk. And I think we really have to break out and reclaim our identity and our space and our unique worlds. The writer of Hebrews says this, But my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. And then he encourages the church. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. There's that word righteous again. My righteous one's moving in faith. My righteous one is moving forward. We're not those that shrink back and are destroyed. And please don't for a moment think that God would destroy anyone. What he's saying, you can't stay where you are. You hear the cry, run to safety and you've locked step right there, but it ain't safe to stay small. It ain't safe to shrink back and shelter in place. Those that are righteous move by faith. Jesus said, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Those who are willing to reach out and grab it for themselves. I'm preaching way better than you're responding right now. It's not God that does the destroying. It's it's staying locked in a perishing system. That's what Jesus called us out. The kingdom of God has come near you. There is a different way to be human. There is a different way to live. A way that fully reflects the character and nature of God. There is a different kingdom. You do not have to be conformed to the image of this world. That's where, that's where the author of Hebrews is saying, come on, you're, you're not those who shrink back. We don't shrink back. It's not in us. It's not in the Spirit of Christ. Man, whenever I strike, you know, tough stuff in my life, after I whinge and complain for a week or two as a human being, I generally get to the point where I think, hang on a sec, the Spirit of God lives in me. The one who created all this animates me. (laughs) What am I thinking? And break out and go forward. And that is my cry for us people. People, it might seem safe to be timid. It might seem safe to just drop anchor and just wait. I think we have done enough of that for a lifetime. Faith is what takes us forward. I don't think we have an option. I think we either perish or prosper. That's it. There ain't no in between. Some questions, some questions for us. Have we allowed the last season to shrink our lives in any way? And I'm very intentionally putting that in the collective. Have we? Come on, think church. Not just as individuals, but us. Have we allowed our lives to shrink in this last season? If so, what areas, what, what way would you go, man, I have really shrunk back from that. I'm talking about passion, commitment, dedication, courage, sacrifice. 
can we accept that our growth as people glorifies God? I think some Christians have such a poor mentality. There's a, there was an old, old thinking. I hope it's almost gone, but I, I think there's residual effect of sort of like we're the worms and God gets pleasure stepping on us, keeping us in our place. That doesn't glorify God. Being fully human and fully alive. <laughs> Moving in all the gifts and purposes and talents and the beauty that he's given you, that glorifies God. What should we do about claiming any lost ground we've identified? And that's not one to think about now. That's one to talk about. And, and I don't want to make this super intense or crazy. Don't go running around quizzing people. But we've got time in the foyer. If, you, if you're happy to hang around, why not have some conversations? What's some ground I need to reclaim? And how do I go about reclaiming that ground? Lost energy, lost passion, lost zeal, lost focus, whatever it is. How do I go about reclaiming that? Because I'm not going to be one that shrinks back. <laughs> I'm going to be someone who pleases God with my faith. I don't know how this works, God. I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you. And I'm determined to go where you call in Jesus' name.